Hi, I'm James Gardner, host of Your History, Your Story, a podcast for everybody who loves stories about interesting people and events told by those who uncovered them from within their own family trees. This, we hope, will inspire you to discover and celebrate your history and your story. How many of us would love to be mentally tough and physically fit? Probably most of us, right? I know I want to be. The problem is, I get in my own way when I try to better myself. I, like many others, tend to make excuses and put comfort and or negative thinking first. I also find that I don't have the energy to accomplish many of my goals. Does this sound familiar to you? If you need motivation to gain mental toughness, energy, and physical fitness, you're in luck. Our guest in this episode of Your History, Your Story is Laura Iman, a successful business owner and a certified unbeatable mind coach trained by retired Navy SEAL commander Mark Devine. She also competed and won a gold medal in Olympic weightlifting at the Pan Am Games in 2017 at age 64. Laura's journey to success began over 20 years ago. At that time, she was overweight, newly divorced, unemployed, and lacked direction in her life. She was also addicted to sugar. She felt she had hit rock bottom, but wanted better for herself and her children. One day, while eating a bag of cookies, she watched a documentary about the Navy SEALs, and her life began to change. Laura is here today to share her story with us. I'd now like to welcome Laura Iman to our show. Welcome, Laura. Hey, hello. How are you, James? Happy to be here. Well, I'm very well, thank you. And we are very happy to have you on our show. You are a really terrific lady, and I can't wait to really hear your story and have our guests hear your story. Thank you. Laura, I'd like to start off by asking you, where were you born and raised? So I grew up outside Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in the town of Abington. I was one of four children. I'm the only girl. So I had three brothers growing up, and that was kind of a wild ride, James. There was a lot of testosterone in that house. <laughs> I bet my wife is the only girl, and she had five brothers. Well, I knew I could relate to Kelly for some reason. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, did they protect you, or did they tease you, or did they do both? It was kind of uh, both in the beginning for the first 10, 12 years, it was a lot more teasing. But as we became teenagers, we all got along very well. And I was the envy of all my girlfriends because on Sunday afternoons, I'd be watching football with 15 guys in our living room and my girlfriends would come over and they didn't know what to do with themselves. They, <laughs> they weren't accustomed to having so many guys in their space. So I've been comfortable with guys ever since because of that. Your house was the place to go for your girlfriend. Absolutely. If you weren't watching football with your brothers and your friends, uh, what were some of your interests and hobbies and things like that? Well, I was always a rather sporty female. I loved horseback riding. I liked swimming. I was very good at that. I liked doing uh, lots of activities outside, climbing uh, trees, walking my dogs, just being outside. And uh, back in the day, James, we didn't do any weightlifting. Women were just doing cardio. So I was busy doing sports after school with field hockey and swimming and horseback riding. Yeah. When did weightlifting start to become more common for the ladies? That's a good question. I don't know. Probably within the last 20 years. Hmm. My daughter is 38 and she wasn't lifting weights in high school. 
Oh, okay. So did you do any running back then? I didn't do it as a school sport, but I loved jogging. My school sports were uh, swimming and field hockey. Were you pretty good at both of these or did you just- I was pretty good. Yes. I was a, a very good cardio athlete. I had no idea what a weight was. I didn't understand anything about it, but it wasn't introduced to us. We didn't have to know anything about it. I was very good at, uh, at running. Running is something that can always stick with you in your life. What about school? Did you have any particular types of classes that you enjoyed? Any subjects in particular? I was one of these students that was not a good student and school was not a really positive experience for me. I think I might've had some kind of ADHD, which back then really wasn't, people weren't really familiar with what it was. It was a very painful experience to sit still in a chair and have to listen to a teacher talk to me about you know, uh, biology or French. It was not a good experience for me. And yet it's very interesting because it doesn't mean for your listeners listening that because you're considered a failure at school, it doesn't mean you can't be a success in your life. Not everybody is a great student. Right. Not everybody's an academic. Are there any subjects that you would say might be a little more of an interest to you than others? I was very good at art. Art and sports were my, were my go-to. Uh, I was very good at both of those. So when you graduated from high school, what happened next in your life, Laura? Well, I went right into college. I followed my older brother to college. I went to St. Lawrence University way up in upstate New York, which is beautiful North country. And it's a beautiful environment, again, to do sports and outside outdoor activities. So I really thrived up there, struggled academically, really struggled academically, but I was tenacious and tried really hard. But I was just getting C's and D's all the time. And, you know, James, that can be very debilitating for a student because in our culture, the the academic system is what you're in from ages three until 21, right? I spent a lot of time there. You really do. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Some people, it's just not for them. It's not the way that they right. express themselves or excel, you know, and for many people, it is the way they can. But so what happened when you graduated from college? What kind of a major did you have in school? I majored in art. Ah, so you did and major in it. what you liked. I did. I did. And that was a great experience. And then I did quite a few sports in college. After I graduated from college, I was went right to Vermont and I uh, was a ski instructor at Stratton Mountain for several years while I tried to figure out what the heck I was going to do next. I enjoyed that very much because I had been skiing with the family since I was 10 years old and we would always take trips to Stratton Mountain. So I segued into that and it was kind of, you know, following your gut instinct. I didn't even know what following my gut meant back then, but I was sort of doing naturally what we all should do and follow our gut. And I wanted to be outside and doing something kind of athletic. And that's what I ended up doing. I can just imagine that as a job must be just amazing, particularly if you love it and all the people. Did you, uh, did you do any like rescue type of stuff as well? No, I wasn't ski patrol, although that would have been very cool, but I ended up being, I was a ski instructress. And what I loved about it, and it's fun to talk about this now, looking back on it, is I really, really enjoyed teaching women who were really scared how to ski. They were there for a week's vacation with their husband and families, and the husband might be very comfortable skiing and the kids were comfortable. And here's the wife, she's really tentative. And I would get her that type of skier for a private lesson. And I so enjoyed trying to help her overcome her fears 
so that she could have a positive experience and teach her a few strategies on how to get down the easy beginner slope with a positive mindset and have a positive experience. And you know what's interesting is that's what I love doing today, teaching timid people how to have a powerful mindset so they can do whatever is in front of them to do. So you encouraged people to do something that they were a little bit unsure of, or maybe very unsure of, yes. and, and give them a small victory to start with, right? Yeah, that's you, you said it better than I could. Right. We start with small victories, but really we, we start with, you feel their fear with them and you say, I understand that you're afraid. I understand that. And that puts them at ease. So we're now working together. I have garnered their trust. And then I say, okay, let's try this little strategy. And you're going to follow right behind me. And I had a whole strategy of how to teach them, but we would take baby steps and it would start with, I'm on your side. I understand what you're feeling now. Trust me, and we're going to take a little a little step here to give you a good experience on this ski slope. Well, you know, I wish I had you as my instructor. <laughs> when I learned how to ski, because I was very afraid of falling. I really was. And mm. when you're afraid, as you know, you get very stiff. And what happened to me was I started to get very confident. I started building some confidence. I was going down intermediate slopes, and I'm starting to do a pretty good job. And then one day, uh, actually, my cousin from Ireland had sent me this beautiful Irish scarf, and I was wearing it. I just, hey, I was really feeling it. I'm going down the slope. <laughs> I ski, you know what's coming, right? One of my skis popped off, so I ended up, I'm putting uh. my boot back into the bindings, and all of a sudden, bang, someone, I was in the way, someone slammed into me, and I rolled, oh, I rolled and rolled and rolled, and I had blood all over the scarf, and I was just so racked up. And from that point on, I was just, I was just so scared. I, I never, yeah. I never continued skiing because I mean, I skied a couple of times after that, but I was always afraid of that person hitting me, but you know, you need somebody like you who could build somebody's confidence up. Maybe I was moving too fast. You know? Well, you know, that's a very scary experience and it ties into what we're going to talk about today. Yes. We can get sidelined by something coming out of left field. That's no fault of our own. But the trick is, and this is why I think a lot of us need coaching. The trick is, how do I get up, brush myself off, and move beyond that little traumatic experience or a big traumatic experience? And I don't believe that we can really do it alone. I mean, what you just described is very scary. Yeah. And if you were able to have a lesson or two with somebody who was really skilled at saying, James, look, I feel your pain. I understand what that's like let's get back up on the horse, or in this case, let's get back up on the ski slope. And I'm going to teach you some techniques so that you can feel safer and avoid it from happening again. Well, that's good. And I think I'm, I'm sort of inadvertently flushing out your amazing story about what you do and how you do it. So I'm going to back up again, and I'm going to take us back. You're a ski instructor. So you're doing something athletic, you're doing something physical, you've graduated from college. And you were inspiring and encouraging people and coaching people. So, so what happened then? That didn't last, right? It didn't last. I then met my, my former husband mm -hmm. and he was from New York City. And I had spent a couple of years in Vermont and I was really ready to try something different. And I decided to move down to New York City to be with him. 
And I was in the big city for the first time in my life. And I wasn't sure if I liked the city, but he was amazing and the city was amazing. And so I completely did something different. I took a risk and I went way outside my comfort zone. And I said, I'm going to live in the city and get a city job. And I had a couple of different jobs at magazine publishing at Condé Nast. And it was fascinating. And we had a great courtship and then ended up getting married. And from there, I had two children and we moved to Connecticut, where I had the good fortune to be a full-time mother. So those outdoor activities were put on hold and I took up the next sport, and that is raising two children and being an at-home mom, which is very athletic, <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's it very sporty, as you well know. It is athletic, but it's a, it's a different kind of athletic. So what did that journey look like in motherhood? And then as your kids grew, what, what else happened in your life? I was very fortunate that I had a husband who was able to afford to have me stay at home. Unlike now, James, where everybody, so many, many parents are, are working to support having their one, two or three children. And I didn't have that pressure. So it was a very positive experience for me. I love my children more than life itself. I've made a lot of mistakes. And then I did a lot of things right. And we just figured it out and went along our way. And and they were just a joy to raise. And in the meantime, I started doing some more athletic stuff. I always a high priority, even when my kids were young, a high priority was staying fit, which back then for a woman was just doing cardio. I was swimming and I was doing the Nordic track in the basement. Remember that old fashioned machine, the Nordic track, which simulates cross country skiing. And then Jane Fonda came out with her videos and I was doing Jane Fonda classes in my den at 7.30 in the morning. <laughs> I, I couldn't not keep moving. I couldn't not keep moving. And so when the kids were in school, I started to do volunteer work and so on and so forth. And the years flew by. So the kids get older and, you know, you were very physically active for a while. Did that change for you a little bit? Did the... Uh physical activity and uh, things like that slow down for you at all? No, actually, I maintained that because I really appreciated how I felt. I really drank the Kool-Aid and understood there is a huge return on your investment when you can get yourself up off the sofa and get yourself to the gym and do a workout of some kind that you like. And that's very, very important. Oh, yeah. And then down the road, I ended up getting divorced. My kids were young. And I was also nursing at the same time, James, an addiction to sugar. Oh. And that was beginning to take me down, even though I was exercising and trying to maintain my health. Anybody listening to this who knows about addiction, addiction is a very cunning and baffling disease. I never got hooked on drugs or alcohol. Sugar was my addiction. And I was eating massive quantities of it. And when I got divorced, I was kind of in the gutter, quite frankly. My life was not going well. You know, it's when you say addiction to sugar, some people, even myself, maybe at one point would say, oh, it's just sugar. So you mm -hmm. like a bag of uh, Chips Ahoy or, or you know, a, a bag of uh, chocolate or something like that. And what's a big deal? I just like a little something sweet after dinner or something like that. Or, or a lot of people like to drink sodas, you know, it's, it's just soda. I'm not into anything really serious. <laughs> so what would you say to someone who thinks that 
that sugar is just, ah, it's just, you know, it's just a little treat I give myself. That's a really great distinction, a very good question, because it's a personal question we should all ask ourselves. If somebody's saying, eh, what's the big deal? I want to have a little treat after dinner. That's great. I don't know that I would call that an addiction. I didn't want to have a little treat after dinner. I wanted to have the entire pint of ice cream mm. every night. In other words, sugar for me, another way of putting it, it was a trigger food. So I couldn't have just four or five chocolate chip cookies. I wanted to have the whole bag. Just like an alcoholic can't have a half a beer, they want to have the entire case of right. beer. It's a physiological and mental addiction. And it's crazy to somebody who isn't addicted. They say, well, just, you know, you eat, you eat until you're full. And then why are you keeping eating? Because it's a physiological addiction. You just can't stop until you feel so darn sick that you can't eat anymore, which is very, very unhealthy. It's a terrible cycle. I never got into bulimia or anorexia. I just ate until I felt so sick. And then I would wake up the next day with a sugar hangover, no energy. I mean, that stuff is toxic. But if you're having a soda, you know, I'm not so sure that that is a, an addiction. Mm -hmm. Right. However, in this day and age, people aren't just having a soda. That's very rare. People right. are eating sugar all day long and it's in everything. So now I'm very passionate and I'm very, very conservative when I say, you know, is that really an addiction? Uh, most of the time, it probably is for most of us. I don't yeah. know many people who can have one little piece of candy and walk away. Yeah, you know, with sugar, it's just like, I guess, any other type of addiction. It tastes good. It feels good. It gives you a lift and it makes you feel really good. And then you, you need another one piece to just to keep that good feeling going or whatever. Next thing you know, you're, you're eating more and more and it just, you just don't feel good. And then when you come right. off it, you feel awful. I actually have a problem with, with chocolate. Mm -hmm. Oh, it, it, I can, when I was a kid, I used to, I used to love my, my dad would buy these Hershey bars with almonds in them. And I would chow down on those sometimes after school, my parents weren't home before they got home. <laughs> I would eat that. They wonder why I was eating my dinner. And what happened as I got older and as an adult, and I'm in my 60s now, is that probably for the last 10 years, if I have more than a couple pieces of chocolate, which I love still, yeah. I get a terrible headache. When you say have one piece of candy or one piece of chocolate, that's literally all I can really have without having a major problem afterwards. Yeah, I guess it could be the same with anybody else with sugar. It may, in one way or another, it may not it may affect you differently and make you feel horrible the next day. But let me get back to your story again. Okay. So you had uh, gotten divorced and you started to recognize that you had this uh, sugar addiction. But could you take us back to that time where you kind of came to the realization that something had to change, where you kind of evaluated where you were at and knew that you had to change? Can you take us back to that yeah. moment? Yeah, there was that realization, great word, that realization. I was divorced at age 40, and I was kind of feeling like a little bit or, well, a lot like a loser. I was directionless. 
I didn't have an income because I was raising my kids at home. Now I had an alimony for a certain period of time, which I was very grateful for, but I had two young kids and I wasn't feeling good about myself. I didn't have direction and I did want to have a purpose in life. And when you don't feel good about yourself and you're a sugar addict, guess what happens? You go right to the ice cream and right to the cookies. And that doesn't solve any problems. Well, this went on for a couple of years until I, and I kind of kept hitting my mini bottoms. Oh, tomorrow's Monday. I'm going to stop. I'm not going to eat any more sugar. Well, that would last until Tuesday afternoon, just like a classic addiction rationalization. You know, you're just living in denial. I'm going to just binge through the week, but I know James next Monday, I'm going to stop the same with drinking or anything any other kind of addiction. It's like we tell ourselves we're going to stop tomorrow and tomorrow never comes. So one day I was really feeling pretty lonely and depressed. And I was chowing down on a bag of chocolate chip cookies. And I went over to my neighbor, Dan and Linda's house. And I said, Dan, what you doing? He said, Shh, I'm watching a TV program on the Navy SEAL. And I sat down next to him. I didn't know who the Navy SEALs were. And I looked at the TV set and James, it was a these fit guys running around in army fatigues doing some pretty amazing stuff. I didn't really care about the Navy SEALs, but I didn't want to go home and be alone. So I just sat there and chowed down on some more chocolate chip cookies. Well, in spite of myself, I started watching the documentary and I became fascinated at who these men were. They, I said to, to my neighbor, I said, Dan, these guys are incredible. They are, they're fit. They have integrity. They show up every day. They take care of themselves. They take care of each other. They have a game plan. They're so mentally tough. I said, I, I'm not any of those things. I'm not fit. I'm not mentally tough. I don't care about my neighbor. I don't have any kind of game plan like they do. They have an agenda. They have passion. They have purpose. I said, I want what they have. <laughs> and so Dan looks at me and he says, are you on some kind of sugar high at the age of I was then 48. Are you going to go off now and just join the Navy SEALs? <laughs> and I, I literally, I got up from the chair and I looked at him and I said, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And I threw the cookies in his lap and I left and I went home. And that was my final big realization, James. I had hit what we call my final bottom. And I said, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. The view from the gutter is terrible. I'm in nothing to my kids. At least I felt that way. I said, I want better for myself. I want better for my kids. I want to be an amazing person, whatever that looks like. And I started to study the mindset of the Navy SEALs. And that day, 21 years ago, was the last time I ever ate any sugar or any processed junk food. This was before the internet was really taking hold. There was no social media and no YouTube. I went to the library and I just started reading voraciously about the Navy SEAL mindset. There must have been some kind of divine intervention because I became voracious. I had to be like these guys. And so I, to this day, I mean, to this day, you know, at dinner, I'm watching podcasts with Jocko Wilnick and Navy SEAL Commander Mark Devine. I'm not shopping for shoes at Nordstrom online. I'm listening to podcasts <laughs> because I so respect and appreciate and love these guys' mindsets and what they did for me. And back then at age 48, not only did I study them, but then I kind of branched out because I was an athlete and I started to study the mindset of Olympic athletes. I thought, well, they're winners. 
the Navy SEALs are winners. I'm going to start studying the habits of Olympic athletes because I had no, my habits were trash. And they inspired me. So collectively, I began to slowly turn my life around and get off. Well, I got off the sugar cold turkey and the processed junk food cold turkey, but I had to surround myself to really develop what I now call my mental toughness mindset. And it, it took years, but I was determined. I was done. I was done. I wouldn't be alive today if I kept eating the way I was eating. Laura, so you did find your bottom that day. You found- I found bottom. my bottom, yes. Found your bottom. And because, I mean, there's times when, you know, I'll watch a movie about running or an athlete or whatever. And I'm thought, well, tomorrow I am going to get out. I'm going to put my <laughs> sneakers on. I'm going to get out there. And that's easy to say. But then when the next day comes along, it's like, eh, I got this coming on. I got this going on. What I liked what you said was studying the minds of people who were succeeding in the way that you wanted to succeed. Athletes and um, Navy SEALs and people who were making things happen and you studied them. So tell me a little more about the journey on the way to changing your life. You said cold turkey. What did that feel like? Getting off sugar was tough. But after a couple of weeks, James, the physical craving subsides, but here's the tricky part. The mental craving does not. Because you see, any addiction is mental, physical, and spiritual. Because I'm a big believer in the 12-step program. In fact, I went to Overeaters Anonymous for five years as one of my mental toughness tools in getting off sugar at the age of 48 because I couldn't do it myself. Like you say, you watch, a, you watch a running show and you're all inspired, but you don't get up the next day and go run. And that's because we're all human. We kind of seek an easy way out. We all need coaches, especially when we are starting out on a new venture for accountability, for inspiration, for strategies and techniques. So I went to Overeaters Anonymous and um, I learned so much about the mental side of eating and food. It's a fabulous program. But I also then went to personal therapy because I wanted to clean up a couple of issues that had been bothering me for many, many years. So I dug in there. I, I explored God and church. I really didn't grow up with the faith and I wanted to explore that. I was trying everything. So it was a journey with a lot of lumps and bumps and I fell down a lot and I succeeded in some ways, but it was trial and error. And for people listening to this podcast, just put one foot in front of the other and just keep trying new things. But if you can get a coach who will guide you, because when you have a strategy, you can save yourself a lot of time and they will hold you accountable and give you a game plan how to do it. You're right, because... Holding yourself accountable does not work. Period. I'm very, I'm very easy to to convince by myself that I don't need to get up and go running. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Yeah, mother James, do you think you should get up and go out and run? I don't think so. It's kind of. I think I'm a little late. I may not, uh, you know, I may not get out there before it rains or whatever. Okay, let's not. And you bring up a good point because, you know, if you look at any successful person, they probably have a couple of coaches and they probably have a mastermind group or they have a board of directors, whatever it is that you're, you look, I mean, Tom Brady is a big inspiration to me and Tom Brady has coaches, Mm -hmm. right? He didn't get to be Tom Brady without coaching. 
and without developing a, that mental toughness mindset. Right. So you have to be open to other people helping you and encouraging you. And But you yourself had to sort of decide on what areas of your life that you wanted to focus in on. And you mentioned spiritual, you mentioned physical, you mentioned, you know, your mind, emotional, and, you know, just breaking some natural human habits that we get into that don't always bring us into the best direction. So this is 20, a little over 20 years ago. You're in your late forties at the time. And you're thinking, you know, you're going to start making these changes. You're off sugar, but what about the physical and nutritional changes that you made other than giving up sugar? What other things did you focus in on and what did you do physically to get into shape? Great question. So my eating was not terrible except for the sugar. And I got off the sugar and the processed junk food. And otherwise I'm a meat and potatoes woman and I love to cook. So now that I got those monkeys off my back, I was just business as usual in the kitchen. I planned my meals. I had two kids I was raising. And so we had nutritious meals all the time. And that did come easily because I love food and I love to cook. And I continued then to, now that I had, now that I was off that junk food and sugar, well, guess what happens? I have a whole lot more energy, E-N-E-R-G-Y. Oh my gosh, what's that? No more sugar hangovers. I lost 15 pounds and I'm feeling pretty good. In fact, I'm feeling great. So I got back into running and got back into swimming again no weightlifting for another couple of years. But what happened was, is I was feeling so confident because when we eat well, it boosts our confidence. It really is amazing. I think anybody who's listening to this podcast has had the experience of taking some weight off and uh, doing a diet that, they, that really resonates with them. Guess what happens? You feel better about yourself. You walk kind of with a spring in your step and you have more confidence at work and at home and life just starts coming together. So I launched a business in my spare bedroom with this newfound confidence and it's still going strong 16 years later. And I was endorsed by Oprah, Barbara Walters, Rachel Ray, Kathy Lee and Hoda. And I was in seven national women's magazines. And I really honestly attribute it to the fact that I was getting mentally tough and I was taking care of myself physically. I had created this four-step program for myself of where I was pretending like I was a Navy SEAL, but I just wasn't on the battlefield. The battlefield was my own head. Right, right. That's a tough battlefield too. It's a, and we all have that battlefield. Nobody's exempt from that. Right. But nonetheless, while I was doing that, I was feeling well enough that I actually dove in and did something really wild and crazy. And that was started a business in my spare bedroom, knowing nothing about business. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about that. What about the well, what was I stayed, I stayed off the sugar and junk food. I stayed on the course with my cardio exercises and I was trial and error. And again, the internet was just taken off and I, I, I knew nothing, but I just love the idea I had. And their photo notepads called PICPADS, P-I-C-P-A-D-S.com. You can go see them now. And they were just a great idea. So I was fueled by this excitement and this passion for this great idea. And one thing happened and I made a lot of mistakes and I failed forward. I just kept picking myself up and keep moving and picking myself up to keep moving. And that was part of my mental toughness program, just like a Navy SEAL does. When they fall down, James, do you think that they stay down? 
No. Nope. Right they are so highly trained to get up and to keep moving and to put that mistake behind them. Because if they don't, what happens is, is they die on the battlefield. And so I learned over and over and over again, the whole concept of, ah, failing forward. Oh, guess what? All successful people fail forward. That's how they get successful. There's no straight line in success ever. Right, exactly. So tell me a little more about the business that you actually started. What kind of a business was it again? So it's custom photo notepads. So it's all online. It's PicPads, P-I-C as in picture, pads pads.com and you as everything is uh is through the internet you go to the website and upload a photo and select the photo notepad that you'd like their color and we silhouette out the background which is unlike anything you can find on the internet even today and each pad is really a beautiful little work of art it's done by my graphic designers in portland maine and so it's not just taking a photo of the dog and the kids and putting it on the pad. We cut out the background and silhouette. We actually spend time designing it. And it's a perfect gift for grandmas and girlfriends who have everything. And okay. so needless to add at the holidays and Mother's Day and Father's Day, we are swamped. But it's a beautiful, very unique idea. And, um, you know, part of my mental toughness program is visualizing what you want and then going after it and taking daily action steps. And I said, I think Oprah really would like to have these in her magazine. I think Rachel Ray, she has two dogs. I'm going to send them to her. Maybe she'll mention them on her show. And I sent samples out to every magazine under the sun. And I got a lot of no's, but I got a couple of really good <laughs> yeses. <laughs> Very good. So that sounds good. You're, you got this business that's, uh, that's thriving. You, you said you, have, you, know, you make mistakes on the way, but you, you fail forward. You've given up sugar. But more things began to happen for you, didn't they? Mm -hmm. And this is the beauty. When we choose to want better for ourselves and we choose to, to believe that we are in control of our emotions and our thoughts and we have the opportunity to create our lives. And we, I, I was such a victim for such a long time. And then I would go to the refrigerator and eat over it. When we really choose to believe that, you know, sky's the limit. I can do almost anything I put my mind to. Stuff starts to happen, but we also have to take care of our bodies because yes. we need them to carry us through. And so I loved the idea of being an entrepreneur and, uh, and doing this business, but I just kind of fell into CrossFit at age 60. My kids were grown at this point and they were doing CrossFit and I was still doing my swimming, not so much running anymore because I was getting some bad knees, but my daughter said, mom, you got to come and watch us do something called CrossFit. And I walked into a CrossFit gym at age 60 called a box. And I had, I just didn't understand anything of what they were doing. They were lifting heavy barbells over their head. It was loud music. And I didn't understand the workouts and how they worked. But I said, well, that's great for you all. That's terrific. I'm going to go home now. And they said, we well, ought to really try it. And I remember looking at the barbell and I said, that's the that, that, that thing is so full of testosterone that it's not even pink. There's nothing about it that interests me at all. Yet I watched my daughter and then my son got into it. They were all doing it in a loud music and there was nobody my age. And I said, nah, in your dreams, I'm not doing that stuff. Well, long story short, I eventually did get into it because I was so darn curious about these things called weights. 
right? Here I am 60 years old and I'd never even seen a barbell before. And then there's this something called a kettlebell. And then we had dumbbells. I'd heard of them. I was intrigued. And I know I realized, well, Olympic athletes and Navy SEALs, they lift weights. And now my kids are lifting weights. And now there's this whole craze called CrossFit. Maybe I should jump on the bandwagon and see what it's like. So I joined a CrossFit gym and started taking the classes and I was intrigued by it, but I couldn't do any of the moves. There was something called a squat. James, you know all about a squat. I had no idea what a squat was. I thought it was a Southern vegetable and I see everybody doing them around me. And it turns out it is one of the most fundamental moves in the world of what we call functional fitness. And it is one of the most powerful moves. You get so much bang for your buck when you do a squat correctly. And listeners, please, please note, I'm emphasizing correctly. Done incorrectly, you can very much hurt your back and your knees. I saw something in it and I said, I want to win at doing squats. And it took me four months and a lot of private lessons with a CrossFit coach because I had no, no muscle tone. I was all cardio. And he built me up and taught me how to do squats. And in about four months, I was able to do 10 squats really well. And I said, gee, I think I like this thing called CrossFit. But there were a whole lot more moves. And I started to do burpees. And I thought burpees were a seed catalog, you know, and I had no idea. But I was learning the language and learning the moves. And I drank the Kool-Aid. And then I started lifting this barbell. But you don't lift it with a lot of weights. I lifted a PVC pipe, which is a couple of ounces. I simulated lifting a barbell in CrossFit to get my form and my technique correct because everything is technique when you're, when you're doing something like that. And I practiced with that. And then I moved to what's called a training bar, which is very, very light. It's just 15 pounds. And I think it was probably James six months before I even added any plates, the circular round plates that you add to a barbell I didn't even add a plate for six months so we were taking real baby steps but I was staying safe doing it that way you were again you've got somebody who's coaching you somebody who really knows what they're doing because you could go out there and overdo it or do it incorrectly and game over and you'll get discouraged or you'll get injured and that's it but you were learning the form and you were learning it before any significant weights were put on and you were starting to like what you were doing. So then what happened? Well, I did CrossFit for about three years. At that time, I moved to Florida for a variety of reasons. And I joined a CrossFit box in Florida. And they had something called an Olympic weightlifting coach who was doing lessons on Saturdays. Well, I wasn't really sure what that was, but I found out pretty quickly that an Olympic weightlifting is the sport of clean and jerks and snatches, which is exactly the moves we were doing in CrossFit with the barbell. In addition to their other moves, you do deadlifts and thrusters, but Olympic weightlifting is the sport of doing clean and jerks and thrusters. And I thought, well, I'm doing CrossFit and I really want to be careful and not hurt myself. And my clean and jerks and snatches with the barbell are terrible. Maybe I'll just quick like a bunny go over to the other side of the gym and have a couple of lessons with this guy on Saturday mornings. And sure enough, I got on the platform with a barbell looking at me, very different sport than CrossFit. 
it's you and the barbell and you're doing just single moves. You're just doing single lifts with the barbell. You're not racing around doing a whole bunch of different moves. And I thought, I looked at that barbell and I said, hmm, I'm a mental toughness person and this barbell is kind of intimidating me. I wonder, Barbell, if you can teach me some things about taking my mental toughness to the next level, teaching me about tenacity, focus, teaching me how to get over the fear of lifting something like this, and teach me more about the beauty of strategy. Because we, we need strategy in everything we do in our lives. And honestly, I think that barbell talked back to me and said, yep, you've come to the right place. If you get humble, I'll teach you. Oh, I like so that. long story short, I started taking Olympic weightlifting lessons. Again, very few, no plates, just the training bar at 15 pounds. And a couple of weeks later, a teenager on the other platform said, hey, Laura, you need some lifting shoes to do this, right? Get out of those CrossFit sneakers if you're going to hang out with us. And she gave me her old lifting shoes, which have a steel, a steel sole. And it makes lifting a lot more easy. So that was it. I went down the rabbit hole of Olympic weightlifting and I did it for 18 months. And it was quite a journey. <laughs> and I learned a lot about strategy, focusing, technique, mental toughness, getting over yourself, putting your ego aside, because if you don't, the barbell is going to win and it's going to crash down on top of you and you're going to hurt yourself. That's interesting because what I'm hearing is mental toughness is not mental foolishness. Mm. You're, you're going up against that barbell and you knew that you had to respect it and you had to do, your form had to be right. You couldn't rush it but you stuck with it. You kept showing up every day, didn't you? That's I was fascinated by it. Yeah. And you know, that brings, a, brings up a really good point, James. Whenever we do something, we should really have a good juicy reason why we want to do it. Like, for example, if we go back to you saying you got all excited watching that running show mm -hmm. and you decide you're going to go out and start running four days a week at 530 in the morning, but guess what? It doesn't happen. It's not because you're a lazy guy, you're far from it. It's because perhaps you didn't really develop that juicy, juicy reason why you want to run. What was it about watching that show on TV that got you so enthusiastic and jazzed up to want to run? We all need to, I think, take a break and really examine why the heck am I doing this, whatever it might be. And when we get really clear on that, that's our gasoline to fuel us to want to get out of bed in the morning and go run. And I had a couple of really juicy reasons for wanting to lift that barbell over my head. I wanted to become strong and fitter. And I wanted to really learn more about mental toughness because at this point I was starting to coach people in it. Yeah. People wanted to know what was making it work for you Correct. and uh, get a little bit of what you were getting there. So you talk about having a good juicy reason. And with me, with running, I've run, oh gosh, since I was probably early 20s, I got very interested in running. There was the big running craze of the 1970s, you probably remember. I do remember. Oh, it was great. And, and it started getting swept up in that. I was never a super disciplined runner, but I would go through periods of where I trained hard and I would I would train for some races. There were some other races that I didn't train so well for and it showed, but a lot of it was like my discipline where it would sometimes it would wax and wane. But I found that having a race to train for used to motivate me. That was like the reason. And recently, I'm, I'm 63 now, 
my daughters and I were going to run in this race in New Jersey. It was a half marathon. So it was a real, it was a real stretch to be ready for it. But I was out there and I was running consistently. And I think when you have been a runner, it comes back to you a little more quickly. And I was, I was doing pretty well. Then we got notification that because of the COVID situation, the half marathon was canceled. Oh. So mm. my big juicy reason just sort of got squashed a little bit. And then we found another race that was a 10K. And somehow that juicy reason, it wasn't as big as it was before. And the motivation started to fail a little bit. Then I started using some excuses that, you know, my job was, you know, taking too much time or I was tired in the evening or something like that. And then I was you know, missing my runs. And just the other day I went out for a run and I was careless and I rolled my ankle. So now I'm not even running in the 10K race. So it, it was one thing after another. I'm not blaming my own determination or lack of it for my injury, but I think when you lay off your training or you overtrain, that's when you get injured. You know? mm-hmm. So in this case, I was, I was laying off, so I wasn't focused and things like that. So did you, during this period of time where you were, you were getting stronger, you were doing this weightlifting, Olympic weightlifting, and you were getting better at what you were doing. Did you have any times where you lost the big juicy goal a little bit for a, a time being? Not during this experience. I didn't do it for very long, James. I only did it for 18 months, Mm -hmm. but I started to compete on just a little local level for fun because I found that by competing, I was learning more about the psychology of the sport Mm -hmm. and it was great mileage for me on the platform. And so I would just start doing these local competitions. And I enjoyed the competition so much, just like you training for a race, you love the race so much that that kept me going. And I didn't really find that I was having too much discouragement at the time um, because these little competitions were so fun. The only thing I think that might've been a little problematic for me was that I was a bit lonely doing it. There was not really too many people my age doing it. I was training with teenagers and young 20 somethings. And when you're in the gym and you're on the platform, we're all equals. It's really, I enjoyed them and they enjoyed me. But at the end of the day, I didn't have anybody to really share my experiences with. But nonetheless, uh, I loved my coaches and I loved the experience and I started to win stuff. So I just stayed on that trajectory and kind of went down that rabbit hole and just kept winning more and more and more. So for that brief 18 months, I just seemed to have a nice successful winning streak. Then I got injured and I had to stop, but that happens in sports. It does. So your goals were still in place and you were using your victories that you were having these competitions to really continue to inspire you towards those goals. So they really sustained you, the competitions and Keeping your eye on your goals, I think, is the important thing. So what kind of things did you win, Laura? My first competition, I won Florida State Champion. And that's in my age group and in my weight group. So that was up in, I think it was Jacksonville. 
And that was awfully fun. And I said, well, gee, I think I want to do this some more because winning is fun, right? <laughs> well, I can't tell you there were plenty of competitions where I did not win. And there were plenty of days when I bombed and I was terrible, but I didn't hit these deep, dark despairs. I just went home and said, had a bad day, took a hot bath and said, get back up on the horse tomorrow. So my first win was Florida State champion. And then I qualified for the world championships twice. I came in fourth in the nation. That was a competition in Savannah, Georgia. And then I went to the Pan Am Games, and that was when I won a gold medal in the Masters division. Wow, and that a, was really, really, really exciting. I bet. I mean, I guess there's a lot of people listening who may not even know that there are these types of competitions yeah. for, for folks who are over 60 and over. And how amazing, because I know with running, for instance, when I do enter races and I'm in a 60 and over category, or even when I was in my 50s, 50 and over, these are serious runners. So the fact that you were entering in your age group doesn't mean that, you know, you were, you were up against a bunch of slackers. If you're lifting weights in your 60s, you're probably in pretty good shape. <laughs> That's a very, very important distinction you are. And at the uh, Nationals, I came in fourth and those women who were first, second, third, they smoked me. I couldn't even come close to them and they'd been doing it for years and I'd only been doing it for 18 months, but it was a thrilling, thrilling experience nonetheless. I bet. So what are you doing now? What does your life look like now, Laura? I'm a full-blown Navy SEAL certified mental toughness coach. What happened, James, was after I got involved with CrossFit, I'm now 68 and I started CrossFitting at 60 and then got into Olympic weightlifting at age 63. During that time, Instagram, social media was becoming very popular. And I started following Navy SEAL Commander Mark Devine on Instagram. And uh, I was staying mentally tough, watching my boys on podcasts and following him. And just a couple of years ago, Lo and behold, he introduced a new product that he has, and that is a Navy SEAL certification called Unbeatable Mind. Now, Mark Devine has been a commander for 20 years. He's retired now. He's written many books. He's very well known in the SEAL community, and a lot of people listening to this podcast may know him. He's out in Carlsbad, California. Well, when I saw that he was offering an Unbeatable Mind coaching certification program, I was all over it because not only was I a Navy SEAL fan and following them and continuing to copy their mindset, but I was coaching my own four-step mental toughness program based on the SEAL mindset and habits of Olympic athletes. But I thought I could take my coaching to like a PhD level with this. So he was offering the course and it was out in Carlsbad, California, but COVID hit. So I took the course online as everybody did, and it took me about a year and I graduated with my unbeatable mind coaching certification. So I'm very proud of that. And I'm grateful to Mark and his crew because now I have an even larger arsenal of tactics and strategies straight from these guys uh, on how to coach anybody who wants to take their performance to the next level and become better. My passion is women. On my website, lauraimond.com, I say I build brave women. And my passion really is helping women get off sugar, get off junk food, lose the COVID-15, lose 
40 pounds, whatever it is, diet and fitness is, is a particular passion of mine, but it goes way beyond that. My coaching and mental toughness is all about deleting our toxic emotions and thoughts and replacing it with a Navy SEAL success-based mindset, which again, I still, I still come back to my four steps. So I actually coach women and guys in corporate settings as well. And I'm branching out to college students as well who are entering the workforce and they're pretty darn scared. And don't you think they can use some mental toughness? And now with the pandemic in year two, we're so desperate for resilience and how to stay motivated. And people are overeating, over drinking, under sleeping, and they're not getting out of bed to run at 530 in the morning, James. <laughs> and it's all about mindset. And that's what I'm here to help do, because I believe that all success starts up here in the attic. <laughs> yes, it does. You know, you, you mentioned about the pandemic. I've been hearing on the news lately about fights breaking out on airplanes, commercial yeah. airplanes, that there's more road rage than usual. Even though we are struggling to get out of the pandemic and we are making big strides, but there's still, you know, we're still aware of it and doing all we can to prevent it from, from spreading again. But people are tired, as you said, they're worn out. We're probably not at our toughest when we're tired, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. And we may, you know, what happens when you, when you press down on something long enough, it's going to squirt out the sides oh. and it can squirt out in an addiction, it can be uh, a temper rage, it can be a lost relationship or something like that. But to have the mental toughness to stick to your goals, you mentioned your juicy goals, what are your goals? Do you help your clients identify what those goals are? Absolutely. James, you ask great questions. So my four step program, I'll give you step number one, yes. um, that, that I can that I will reveal. Step number one is create a vision for yourself. What are your dreams? What do, you, what do you want for yourself in your life? What do you want your career to look like? What do you want your personal life to look like? What do you want your body, your health and wellness to look like? How do you want yourself to come across to others? How do you want others to see you? If we don't have big, huge, juicy visions and dreams, we're, we're going to go through life reacting to whatever comes along as opposed to acting and moving towards our North star. And we want to have juicy dreams, not just, gee, I want to lose 20 pounds and, and get rid of my type two diabetes. Well, frankly, that's a really powerful goal, but let's get a little juicier than that. Why do you really want to lose the 20 pounds? Well, I'm 70 years old and I want to, I want to be healthy and fit for my grandchildren's wedding. Now you're talking juicy goals, right? The diabetes, let's knock that out. Let's get rid of the 20 pounds, but let's go beyond that and have more fun. So for those of us who are struggling with the pandemic, and we're all sick and tired of this, we're all tired of it, but you know, get some visions and, and goals for yourself. What do you want? How do you want to get through this pandemic? It's not going away tomorrow. Why do you want to lose the COVID-15? What would you really like for yourself in your work? People are leaving the workforce now, James. We're, we're hearing that corporations, people are leaving and saying, I don't want to be here anymore. We really need to reevaluate ourselves and, and how can we be part of the solution instead of duking it out in road rage and on airplanes. That's just atrocious behavior. And it's just, you're right, we're just, we're acting out sideways and it doesn't have to be that way. We need to sort of get really selfish in a mentally tough way and say, what do I want for myself? 
Yes. If I may jump back to your beautiful example of you said, sure. well, my juicy why, Laura, is, is I want to train for this. Was it a 10K that you were going to do? The original, original goal was a half marathon. A half marathon. And you said, because I really like, I really want to run that half marathon. That's a great goal. And that's a great why. But I encourage you to move beyond that and say, let's peel the layers of the onion back more and find out what is it about that? half marathon that makes you so excited to want to run it. And you might find if you really keep asking yourself that more and more fun, juicy things are going to come out of that, that might not have anything to do with running that will keep you motivated because then you said, well, then we went to the 10 K and you rolled your ankle and now you're stuck. But when you have a juicy why and a couple of reasons for why you want to run, that's your gasoline that will keep you moving forward. Well, that's a good point you're making, and it's an excellent way for me to segue into another question I was going to have for you. You make me think about, you know, the why. Why did I want to run in that half marathon? Well, one was my daughter, my oldest daughter, who's a fitness instructor, who, by the way, not long ago did over 4,000 burpees in a 12-hour period. She didn't, <laughs> she didn't hit the world record, but she tried and I'm so proud of her, but she's always been interested in my wife and I staying healthy and things like that. So she encouraged me a lot to run in this race. But I think the even more important thing about it was my wife and I had run in the same race 12 years ago. So I was 12 years ago, I was wow. 51, 51. At 51, I didn't feel, I felt, yeah, you know, I was still right in the middle of my career sort of. And I was, I wasn't thinking about age or retirement and stuff like that. And I had kind of a different mindset. Well, I'm 63 now. And, and sometimes some of us go through a period where we think, oh boy, those, those years have crept up on me. And I got to admit, I started feeling a little old, maybe frankly, just thinking about my own mortality. Am I going to start to wither? Am I going to be able to run anymore? Whatever. And I think what started to become my goal was to kind of show myself more than anybody that I still can do it, that I still have the ability to feel good and be respectable in this race and be among people who are healthy of all different ages and just be one of the group there, not some older guy that people say, are you okay? You know, or <laughs> I want you running because, you know, you're, <laughs> so I think a part of it was feeling, you know, proving to myself that I wasn't getting ready to be a very old person or what have you. What do you say to somebody who maybe is thinking that they're too old, they're in their 60s or 70s, and maybe some people who haven't been that athletic during their lives and are mm -hmm. just starting to think about it. What would you say to encourage someone who's maybe a little self-conscious about it or worried that they might get hurt or it's too late? Right. I would love to answer that, but I would love to respond to what you just said. You wanted your juicy why was you wanted to prove to yourself that you weren't going to get old and wither away, that you could still stay fit as a 63-year-old and maybe then stay fit as a 70-year-old. And if I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I see when we talked before this podcast, uh, when we met a couple of months ago, you're, you're a hardworking man. You've worked hard your whole life. And if we take it one step further, I see James saying, 
I've worked so hard my whole life. Now I'm going to turn inward and give myself some love. I love running. I'm going to love myself up by treating my body to the gift of running because I feel so darn good. And I want to carry that. I want to just do something for myself now. And that, man, that's a, boy, self-love is a great, juicy reason to get out there and pound the pavement. I remember how good I felt when I was younger and I would run in these races, even the ones that I hadn't trained too well for. You know how it is when you're in the middle of your race, you're saying, why did I do this? Why did I sign up? For this? <laughs> and then when you're done, you're like, where's this? We used to have to get forms to mail in back in those days. Where's the next form? I want to sign up for the next race. You know what it is? But I, I remembered the way I used to feel and I wanted to feel that again. And I wanted to show to myself. And I also wanted, all three daughters became runners. And I think part of it was because I loved running and my wife supported us all in our running. And uh, I think I wanted to keep that bond and commonality. And I wasn't going to be on the sidelines for that. I was going to stay in the game. And so you're right on when you say that. that um, That's a juice. Another really juicy reason. I want to stay in the game and be with my daughters. I mean, how many years did you say goodbye to your daughters and kiss them goodbye in the morning and you went off to work and they went off to school and then you met for an hour at dinner at night. Yeah. Now, you're retired and they're living nearby and you're doing this together. And it's another really powerful why. So this is just, James, you're, you're our experiment here today. <laughs> this is it. how we peel away the onion of the juicy why. So it went from just, gee, I really like running in a race in that half marathon to lots of really deep reasons about love for your daughter, love for yourself. You want to maintain uh, your, your youth and your vigor as you move through the next decade or two, there's lots of just really good. I, I'm excited. I want to go run listening to you. <laughs> this is what we talk about with a juicy why. When I was getting off sugar, my juiciest why was my kids. I didn't want to be a failure in their eyes. And that was really, really huge. Part of it was fear motivated, but part of it was I want to be a great mom for them. I love them so much. There was a lot of love motivating the reason for me to stay off the sugar. If we don't have a why, we have no gasoline in our tank because guess what? If you're training for a half marathon, James, you need to get out of bed at 5.30 on an icy cold New Jersey morning. If you have a big enough why, you're gonna say, yep, I'm up and I'm out and I'm running in the cold weather. It doesn't matter because my why is my gasoline. It keeps me going. That's the key. I gotta say this. So Laura, you and I had a conversation with my wife, Kelly, Oh, I guess it's almost a month ago now. And we were just, we always like to speak with our guests ahead of time. And you are just so personable. You, you listened a little about our story. And before we knew it, you kind of were encouraging us already in our own personal goals and, and fitness and things like that. But you listen and you sort of apply what you know and your gifts and your successes to other people's lives. So I can only imagine what you do for people must really be life-changing. Thank you. I really appreciate that, James. And, and you did ask me earlier, what do you say to somebody who's in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and maybe somebody who's feeling a little bit hopeless or a lot hopeless about their health, uh, their eating habits, their weight, maybe they're drinking too much. Could be a whole host of different things. And I just say to anybody who's listening, it sounds so trite, but it's so darn powerful. Never, ever give up on yourself. 
And I back that up by saying, if you feel like giving up and you don't want to get off the couch and walk a 5K or you don't want to lose the weight and you just feel like it's too late, you call me. You call me. I want to hear what you're going through because I was in the gutter for decades and I don't want anybody to be in the gutter if they have a dream or a goal, but they're just feeling stuck. You know, our lives are too precious. And especially now with the pandemic and all the craziness going on in the economy, the world so desperately needs you to get up off the sofa, start eating healthy, start moving. You don't have to be lifting barbells over your head, but go adopt a dog at the pound and walk it around the block. And then maybe start putting on some running sneakers and take a little jog around the block because we desperately need you contributing your talents and your time to the world. We're kind of broken right now. So everybody up and at them. <laughs> Adam, and you know, I know that you said we got to start taking care of ourselves and thinking of ourselves, but that is not selfish because I know what your big juicy goal was really around your kids. That wasn't about you, but it had to be about self-care so that you could do something loving for your children. I think sometimes people think, ah, I'm just, you know, I'm, I can let myself go. It's all about my kids and my grandkids and all that stuff, but I can let myself go. I can eat those chips or those cookies and I can not, you know, go and get my regular doctor's checkups and things like that because who cares? I'm an old guy, whatever. If you want to show love for your kids and your grandchildren, you take care of yourself because for the most part, I think they want you around. That's beautiful. Thank you. Well said. Yeah. And you can't give away what you do not have. If you're not feeling great about yourself and you don't have any energy, you're not going to have much to give to your family, your community, your church, the world. Exactly. Laura, what do you want your legacy to be? I would love my legacy to be that women put themselves first because that's the most healthy, kind, and loving thing they can do for their family. I get a lot of hate mail when I start talking like this. You don't understand. I don't have the time. I have to take care of my aging father. I have to take care of my son or my daughter or my husband who's X, Y, and Z. I, I do understand that. Mm. But if you don't take care of yourself first, you're not going to have much to give away. And I really empower women. I build brave women to say, put yourself first. Get selfish. Do my four-step mental toughness program because what's going to happen when you develop a strong sense of self and you love yourself and you're doing a, a reasonably good fitness and food program and you're mentally confident and calm and you're staying in a what can I do today to serve others mindset, you're going to 20 times increase your potential with your family and friends. Don't give up yourself to others. Put yourself first in an appropriate way. Well said. Laura, what are your goals for the future? What is Laura going to be doing in the future? My goal is to, down the road, help women in the margins, women coming out of prison, women coming out of domestic abuse situations. My goal is to help them become mentally tough so that they can understand that their past is not their future. It doesn't define who they are, that they have meaning in society, that they count. And I'm going to teach them my four steps. It's a nonprofit. I'm going to teach them my four steps. 
and get them in front of some really light dumbbells and really light PVC pipes and barbells and teach them how to do a little bit of strength training, get some endorphins going, get a little cardio going with them, and then teach them my four-step mental toughness program so that they can walk out into the world, leave their past behind with their chin up and say, I count and I'm gonna nail this job interview and I'm gonna make a difference in my life and my kid's life. Because can you imagine, James, I can't, coming out of prison and off the streets, these are fractured women. Yeah. And if I can help them get a little muscle on their body, teach them how to eat well and it doesn't have to cost too much money, doesn't have to be expensive, and then to teach them a couple of basic Navy SEAL mental toughness mindset tips to leave prison behind, leave that abuse behind, they're going to be productive members of society. And I've had a URL for six years now waiting to launch this nonprofit called upliftingladies.com. Somehow, some way, I feel that that is my calling while I help others become mentally tough. But I want to help these women in the margins. So that's yet to happen, but it's something that you are working toward. And, but certainly you are already passing on these, uh, these wonderful lessons that you've learned and disciplines that you've learned to others now. And then you are, as you said, trying to reach these ladies on the margin who have really, uh, you know, have had a tough time of it and bringing them, bringing them into a situation where they're going to feel good about themselves. Yes. Oh, that is great. That's a big vision of mine. You know, we talked about visions. What's your vision? What's I have about 10 different dreams and visions for myself, but, but that's one that's out there that I'm very excited about and we will see how it evolves. It might, it might take some turns. It might change and morph into something a little different. I think when we have our visions, we want to be open for, for opportunities and experiences that come along that might be slightly different from what we're expecting. And we say, well, gee, I'm going to try and go down that road. I never planned to be a gold medal Olympic weightlifter, but the opportunity presented itself. And I said, hmm, I'll give it a shot. So sometimes it pays to be flexible. As the Navy SEALs say, pivot and go. Everything's constantly changing. Be prepared to pivot and go. Definitely something to remember. So Laura, how can people find out more about you and your business and your also your, your coaching? And how can they get in touch with you? Thank you. Well, a couple of ways. The easiest really is to visit my website, which is my name, Laura, L-A-U-R-A, Iman, which is E as in Edward, I-M-A-N, Iman. LauraIman.com. All the information is there. You can contact me there. And I love it when people follow me on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn. And my handle is at Laura Iman. So pretty easy. And I'm here and available to talk to anybody who says, I want to be better today than yesterday. I want to make a difference. I want to find what my purpose is. I want to get rid of this excess weight, maybe get off sugar. I'm open to listening to what your needs are and seeing if I can be of service to you. Well, Laura, when Kelly and I got off our call with you last month, we both felt so encouraged. We were, our, we were walking with lighter steps somehow. Mm-hmm. We felt so encouraged by speaking with you and you just encouraged us on that call. We were just having a regular conversation. So I know whoever reaches out to you is gonna have a really good experience. And uh, we are just so happy that you were a guest on our show, Your History, Your Story. 
you have an interesting history and a very interesting story to tell. And it's one that is and will continue to inspire people and get people feeling good about themselves. And that is a gift to their loved ones. Mm-hmm. Thank you, James. You said it better than I. Thank you. And I love and appreciate Kelly and you. Thanks for your kind words. Your podcast is great. Really, thank you for the opportunity. Well, you have a very good day. Okay, Laura? Appreciate you so much. It was a really fun experience. Thank you so much, James. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. So, for all of our listeners, keep discovering and telling stories that inspire you and others. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Your History, Your Story. Please subscribe, share, and check out our website at yourhistoryyourstory.com for episode notes and bonus content. We'd love to hear from you if you have any questions, comments, or a story to tell. Be well and God bless.